Good morning. It's good to see all of you who have gathered with us here in person at Ivy Creek Baptist Church this morning, and we are grateful for all of you who have joined us online together uh, today as well. We are thankful for all of you who uh, are joining us this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, would you please take them and turn with me once again to the Gospel of John and to the 15th chapter, John chapter 15. Uh, we are going to continue our sermon series that we've been in now for a few weeks uh, entitled Lessons from the Upper Room, and we are going to continue the next uh, study, the next major section of uh, the lessons that Jesus is teaching us there. I've entitled today's sermon Friendship with Jesus, and the reason that I've chosen that as my title is because on two occasions in this passage, uh, Jesus speaks of the friendship that he has with his disciples. You'll see it the first time when we get to it there in verse 14, where he says, you are my friends. And then we see it a second time in verse 15, where he says, I have called you friends. Now, I don't know about you, but the words friend and friendship are, are pretty special words to me. Um, they can, however, be elusive words. In fact, it's been said that one true friend in a lifetime is much, two are many, and three, well, that's hardly possible. Yet for those of us who have Facebook accounts, if you look at our Facebook accounts, we have hundreds if not thousands of friends. But I think all of us recognize that there is a difference between being merely acquainted with someone and even just being friendly with someone and actually having a relationship where the heart is connected to someone. Those are the ones that we call true friends. Those are the people that we call our best friends. They're the people that know us intimately. Those are the people that know all of our faults and our weaknesses. They're the ones that know what all of our bumps and our warts and our bruises are. And they still love us anyway. Those are the type of people that don't require us to put on airs or to become somebody that we're not in order for them to be in our presence. And listen, if you can have one or two or maybe even three of those kind of people in your life, you are blessed indeed. But you know what? Even, even if you do have one or two or three of those kind of people in your life, he or she will still be someone who fails you every now and again. And you want to know why they fail you? Because they're just like you. They've got bumps and warts and bruises. They're not perfect, just like you're not perfect. And so there will go, you will have times when that best friend of yours will do something or say something that will hurt you. But I've got good news for you. There is one who is called the friend of sinners now, the pious and the religious elite of, of the day called Jesus that, the friend of sinners, in an attempt to discredit him. But I want you to know that's exactly who he was. He was and is and remains to be today a friend of sinners. Yet he was one within whom himself there was no sin. He lived a perfect, sinless, holy life. And even though... Being called a friend of sinners was, was used of him in a pejorative way. It was used in a way to discredit him. It's really a beautiful description of who Jesus is. You see, the scriptures declare that Jesus, though he lived that perfect, sinless, holy life, 
is nevertheless willing to call folks like you and me, people who have not lived perfect, sinless, holy lives, well, he's willing to call us friends. And I want you to know, if we consider that truth, if we truly think about the fact that Jesus Christ is willing to call someone like you and me his friend, well, that is a more wonderful truth than probably we can truly contemplate. And it is the, it is the essence of the gospel message that I have been called to preach. And I want you to know it doesn't get any better than that. However, let me say this to you. If we truly understand our sinfulness and if we truly understand our depravity, then we will also recognize that the friendship that is possible with Jesus, well, it's different from that that we may enjoy with earthly friends. D.A. Carson has written this. He says that the mutual reciprocal friendship of the modern variety is not the type of friendship that is possible with Jesus. And the reason that that is the case is because he is not someone who finds himself indebted to us. You see, the friendship that we have with Jesus is not a, the variety of if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That's not the kind of friendship that we have with Jesus. Nevertheless, it is still glorious to consider that friendship with him is possible. And by far, I would say to you, he is the most important friend that you could ever have. In fact, Carson goes on to write this, guilty sinners like you and me can find no better or truer friend than in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the Son whom he has sent. The question that really we have to begin with in the back of our minds, though, as we think about friendship with Jesus, the question that we must contemplate is this. Would Jesus call you his friend? Would he say of you, like he will say here in this text of his disciples that he calls you his friend. I want you to know our text reveals four distinct characteristics of those who are called friends of Jesus. And I want us to spend our time this morning examining those four points. And so let's begin by reading God's word this morning, beginning in verse 12 of John chapter 15 and working our way down through verse 17. Hear the word of God. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us, and we're grateful for the opportunity that you have given to us to be able to gather this morning in your name with your word before us open and as we are able to read it for ourselves and examine our lives and, and begin to see the things that you would have us to know. As you continue to, to teach us these lessons, we pray that we would have open hearts, receptive hearts. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be given the freedom to move in and through our lives and to help us to see ourselves for who we truly are in light of what your word reveals and 
And that as a result of that, that you would bring conviction in areas of our lives where we're deficient. Areas where you would desire for us to become more like Jesus. I pray that we would be open to that this morning. That, that we would be tender to your moving and, and your, your work within us. I ultimately pray, Lord, for, for your will to be done in our lives so that as we move out from here, as we go back to our homes and into our places of business and into the world in which you've called us, that we will do so in such a way that we would represent our Lord and that we would do so compellingly and that men and women, boys and girls who come in contact with us would see something different in us that we would truly be salt and light in this dark world. And I pray that that would happen, that we would be the bearers of peace, that we would be the ones that would, would stride forth in, in being, setting the example that you would have us to set so that we would become more like Jesus. I ask all of these things, Lord, for, for our good, but ultimately for your glory. We pray that you would shine through us. And we ask these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. So I mentioned that I believe that this text reveals to us four distinct characteristics of those who are known as friends of Jesus. And I want you to notice the first one with me there, the first one that I've identified. You'll see it there on your outline is this. Friends of Jesus love other friends of Jesus sacrificially and selflessly. Friends of Jesus love other friends of Jesus sacrificially and selflessly. And, and the key to that understanding comes from what we see down in verse 14. In verse 14, Jesus says this, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Now, the whatever there would apply to any command that Jesus gave, but contextually, we just look back up two verses to verse 12, and we see the specific command that Jesus has in mind when he makes this statement. In verse 12, Jesus says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So obviously, the command to love one another is the condition to which Jesus connects this declaration of friendship. In other words, loving one another is a necessary characteristic of those who identify themselves as Jesus' disciples and his friends. Now, if that command to love one another sounds familiar, it should, because, well, of course, he says it again down in verse 17, he says, these things I command you, that you love one another. But it's familiar because even on this very same night, earlier in the evening, after Jesus had washed the feet of his disciples, he, he tells them and gives this same commandment. In, in chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this, Jesus says, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, when we looked at those verses in their context a few weeks ago, we noted that the command that Jesus gives to love is not new in and of itself. In fact, Jesus had said earlier in, in, in previous teachings, he gave the command to love one's neighbor as oneself. He said that actually summarizes the, the, the law. It summarizes the second table of the law that, that deals with, with human interactions with one another, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That really summarizes the first four commandments, the first table of the law of how we are to, how we are to operate and how we are to live in light of who God is. So Jesus has already commanded that we are to love. 
so the question is, what makes that commandment new? And, and what makes it new is that it's new in the way that Jesus says we are to measure that love. He says, love one another as I have loved you. Well, how did Jesus love? Well, according to the context, we should be reminded that Jesus is telling his disciples these things on the very eve of his crucifixion. And in other words, in hours, just just hours ahead, these disciples will be able to see the depths of the love that Christ had for them on full display as he was crucified on Calvary's cross. Now, I believe that based upon the, the, the comments that Jesus makes concerning the Holy Spirit, who would come later and remind the disciples of everything that they had seen and be able to connect that to the things that Jesus had taught them, that maybe the disciples didn't completely understand everything that was happening right now in their lives. But we do know that after Jesus was raised from the dead, after he ascended back to the Father, when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, he came and and he did exactly what Jesus said he would do. He would enlighten them. He would cause them to remember the words that Jesus had spoke. It, It would cause them to be able to make the connection between his death on the cross and his infinite love that he had for them. And they would go on then to record those memories. They would go on to record those words. And that's where we have the Holy Scriptures that give us that information. And I want you to know what Jesus says here about loving him and about loving others as he had loved us made a made a huge impact on the Apostle John. In fact, if you go to the epistles of John and you begin to read what John wrote there, it's like it comes up almost repeatedly over and over and over again. For example, in 1 John 3, verse 11, John writes this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. He says down in verse 16 of 1 John 3, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 1 John 3, 23. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. 1 John 5, 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Now, John was not the only one who was affected by what Jesus said. The Apostle Peter was also affected by it. 1 Peter 1.22, we read this. He writes, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, then love one another fervently with a pure heart. The Apostle Paul also picks up on the same thought in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 9. He says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Brothers and sisters, what becomes obvious is that Jesus' command to love one another is an essential characteristic of those necessarily who would be friends of Jesus. You can't separate loving one another and, and, and isolate that and say, well, that's, that's no, it's an essential part of who friends of Jesus are and how they live. In fact, John goes on to say in 1 John 3, verse 10, By this it is evident who are the children of God and those who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. 1 John 4, verses 20 and 21 says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he he who does not love his brother whom he has seen 
How can he love God whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment that we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. But if we're honest, that's not always easy to do, is it? It's not always easy to love your brother. It's not always easy to love another friend of Jesus. We should remember that Jesus made this statement here in chapter 15, verse 13. He made it to his disciples. He made it to his friends. He made it to this group of men that he had called out of the world to come and be a part of his life. But these were men who nevertheless, they argued with one another. They didn't really like, some of them didn't like one another very well. Um, They argued and struggled with one another over who was going to sit in what chair and which one was going to have what position in the kingdom when they finally got there. And what becomes obvious is that loving one another, well, it had not necessarily come naturally to these guys. Sacrifice and selflessness were not their first responses to one another. And why would we think that it would be their first response? Let's think about this for a second. One of those 11 that were still up there was Jesus was a man named Matthew, a man named Levi. You know how Levi had earned his living. He had sat by a tax collecting booth where he had collected taxes from his fellow Jews. And in the process of collecting taxes for the Roman government, he fleeced them and charged them extra. And everything that he could get over what went to the Rome, to the Roman uh, government, he kept for himself. He was hated among the fellow Jews. You know who else was a part of the 11? A man named Simon the Zealot who was aptly named because of his zeal for the nation of Israel and his strong, fervent desire to see Israel completely removed from Roman authority. Now, I would suggest to you that philosophically and, and, and actions-wise, you would not find two men who would have been more diametrically opposite of one another than Matthew and Simon the Zealot. And what, but yet what Jesus says is that when two men like that who come from two completely different perspectives come together and they are brought together by the Lord Jesus through what He has done for them, by His sacrificial and His selfless love of them, by laying down His life in their place, then once they have become friends of Jesus, you know what? They don't have the option of not showing love toward one another in the same way that Jesus has shown love to them. Listen, loving as Jesus loves us does not come naturally. But it is possible through the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we begin to live out that life in His power. As one has put it, no fellow believer is a mere acquaintance. Therefore, we have to remember that loving one another is not optional for those who are friends of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, particularly in the climate in which we find ourselves right now, we must be reminded as the people of God that regardless of how deep or superficial There is no difference among believers that should ever cause us to ignore the words of our Savior, which tells us to love our brothers and our sisters in Christ as Jesus has loved us. So the first characteristic that we see in this passage is that friends of Jesus love friends of Jesus sacrificially and selflessly. Notice the next one. 
The next point is this. Friends of Jesus, obey his commandments. Friends of Jesus, obey his commandments. Now, I've already alluded to this characteristic earlier from verse 14. I'll read it for you again. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Notice also the similarity between that verse and what Jesus said back up in verse 10. He says there, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Now, let me point out to you, just as I did last week when we looked at these verses, keeping Christ's commandments, that's not what causes you to become a friend of Jesus. His friendship is not something that is earned by us. Rather, obedience to his commandments is what describes those who are his friends. It's an indicative of of who they are. Our obedience to Jesus is is our testimony of, of our friendship with him. It's not the way that we attain his friendship. Consider the other places where Jesus says the same thing. John 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, verse 21, he who has my commandments and keep them, it is he who loves me. It's the relationship that that begins first and then the obedience follows. John 8, verse 31, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Then there was this one occasion where Jesus was in this house and he was teaching and there was, it was packed in and there was a lot of folks there. And, And then someone came and said, hey, listen, your mother and your brothers are outside and they want to speak to you. And Jesus said, He gave an answer that had to surprise everyone in the house who was listening. In Matthew 12, verse 48, he says, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then he stretched out his hand, Matthew said, toward the disciples and said, Here are my mothers and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, is my sister and my mother. Now, as dumbfounded as the people in that house probably were, here's the one thing that they could not miss. And that is that a true relationship with Jesus is marked by obedience to him. A true relationship with Jesus is marked by obedience to his commandments. So what we've seen thus far is that friends of Jesus love as Jesus loved. They love sacrificially. They love selflessly. And we've also seen that friends of Jesus will also obey Jesus's commandments. That brings us to the next characteristic that we see laid out for us in this text. Notice the third point there on your outline, and it's this. Friends of Jesus possess knowledge and understanding of divine truth. Friends of Jesus possess knowledge and understanding of divine truth. Notice verse 15 again. Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants. No longer do I call you slaves. He says, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. Now, it's important to point out here, as I mentioned in in my introduction, that. When Jesus calls his disciples friends. He was not saying to them that they were equals with one another. Um, In fact, as the previous point states. He's the one who makes the commandments. Jesus is the one who commands. It's the disciples, it's his friends who go out and obey those commands. This is not a reciprocal relationship that Jesus has with his disciples and friends. Yet based upon what Jesus says here in verse 15, we recognize that obedience to him, well, it's not the same thing as slavery. 
You see, while his friends were still going to do, and they, they would still go about obeying him and doing what they were told, Jesus does not make them go out and do those kind of things in the dark. They're not expected to just obey blindly without any understanding with regard to the reasons that they are being told to do the things that they're told to do. Jesus tells them that as his friends, they will be let in on all that the master is doing. I want you to consider the fact that the master could have told, uh, uh, commanded a servant in his house to go and prepare food for a large gathering. But he never had to explain why that gathering was going to occur. However, a master who, who, who viewed himself as a friend to his servant would explain the situation behind such a large dinner party. And, and, and really, that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. I'm not just telling you what to go do. I'm telling you every reason why you need to go do it. I'm giving you the understanding that goes along with it. I'm telling you the things that the Father has revealed to me. I'm revealing them to you. That's really what he prays about in John chapter 17. When Jesus prays to the Father, John records the prayer. And in the middle of that prayer, Jesus says this in verse 6 and 8 through 8 of John chapter 17. He prays to the Father, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. And now they have known all things which you have given me. And they're from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you and they have believed that you sent me. In other words, Jesus is saying, I've revealed your will to these, my friends. I think it's also highly instructive to notice the final words of the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. The final words that he writes are really instructive, I think, with regard to this specific point. Paul Paul, you remember, was one who regularly referred to himself as a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet he still recognized, even though I'm a bondservant to Jesus, I have a special relationship with him because of everything that has been revealed to me. And in the final words of the book of Romans, Paul writes this, Now to him who is able to establish you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. Paul concludes, to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Now, did you, you pick up though on the really important part that I want you to see there? Paul is saying that in Christ is revealed all of the mysteries that had once been contained. They'd been kept secret from ages past, but now they are completely known through Him. God has, through His Scriptures, revealed the Lord Jesus, and He's revealed His entire design for why the universe was created. He reveals why mankind was placed here. And He reveals what the responsibility of humanity was in order to, to, to fulfill its role. But it also reveals the fact that Mankind never fulfilled it. In sinfulness, they fail. And it also reveals how, how as a result of that, we can experience forgiveness of our sinfulness and our failures. And we can experience what God's plan for history actually is. And we can know for sure how we can spend eternity with God. And we can know because of what's been revealed exactly what our lives are supposed to look like in the meantime. All of that and more is revealed to us through God's inspired Word. 
I like the way that John MacArthur has summed it up. He says, surrender to Jesus Christ is never blind obedience. He shares with his friends everything he has received from the Father. And they share his heart for his work because they know the whole plan from beginning to end. He says this, he said, it is the truest kind of friendship. And if we are his friends, we will want what he wants and we will do his will because it will be the will of our heart's desire. So loving one another, obedience, and understanding divine truth. All of those are characteristics of those who are friends of Jesus. Notice the last one with me. The last one is this. Friends of Jesus go and bear fruit while depending on him. Friends of Jesus go and bear fruit while depending on him. Jesus tells his disciples in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Now in Bible times, it was a common practice of those who wanted to learn from a wise man, to learn from a teacher. It was common for that person to to approach the teacher and ask him, could he become his disciple? Jesus patently tells his disciples that that was not the way that it worked with them. In fact, it was just the opposite. If you remember, it was Jesus who went to the fishermen on the Sea of Galilee and said, drop your nets and come follow me. It was Jesus who went up to Matthew and said, look, walk away from your tax collecting booth and come and follow me. It was Jesus who went to the other disciples and said, look, whatever pursuit that you've been having in your life, stop that, come, take up your cross and follow me. And that's the immediate context of our Lord's words here in verse 16. However, I do believe that Jesus' words here also point to the sovereign nature of God's divine and electing grace. Let's let's remember this according to what John writes in 1 John 4.10. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Nevertheless, I think it's important that man's responsibility before God to respond to all that God has done is not reduced by what Jesus says here. In fact, it is the initiative of God. It is His choosing. It is His appointing that leads to His disciples going and bearing fruit. Literally, what Jesus says is that He chose them. He appointed them. Literally, He set them apart for the purpose of going out into the world and then bearing fruit for His kingdom. Now, if you think about it, Jesus is here picking back up the same imagery that we looked at last week of the vine and the branches and the bearing of fruit that we looked at from the first part of chapter 15. And he'd already told his disciples that fruit-bearing branches will abide in the vine. And we note that abiding in Christ is what will allow us to produce fruit in our lives. And specifically, Jesus points to those who are his friends. They're producing fruit, notice, that will last. Fruit that remains, Jesus says. And most Most scholars point out that in light of the context, Jesus here is focusing on fruit that comes through evangelism, fruit that comes through missions, the fruit of seeing others who are lost and those who are separated from God because of their sins, coming to know Him personally and and intimately through the clear testimony of those who by faith have come to be saved and, and who have been made His friends. 
And, and effectively what we learn is that these men that Jesus speaks to here, they were, they were chosen out of the world, out of the darkness by Christ. Not only that, but they were saved by Him. They were loved by Him. They were trained by Him. And He called them His friends. And then He sent them back out into the world in order to go tell the rest of the world about Jesus and to make disciples just as they had been made. Disciples. That is the essence of the Great Commission that we find in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, where Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And then he says, Lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. It's the same message behind what Mark records in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, where Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Here's what I want you to notice. As these disciples were sent into the world, we recognize that a disciple, a friend of Jesus, is not someone who just sits on the sidelines and watches things happen. A friend of Jesus is one who's in the process of going. A friend of Jesus is one that not just sits back and looks and sees what everybody else is doing and observes it, makes commentary on it, gives it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. No, a friend of Jesus is one who's actively engaged in the mission of Jesus and going into the world and sharing the good news of the gospel. But a friend of Jesus is not one who's told to go in the world and share the good news of the gospel in his own power or according to his own strength or by his own wisdom, which is why I think Jesus says next, look, that's why you can pray and ask anything in my name and the Father will give it to you. You see, the responsibility of the disciples, of the friends of Jesus, are to remain attached to the vine because that's the only way that fruit will ever be produced. And so as those disciples go, they go asking the Lord Jesus to be the one who will give them the power, to be the one who will open their eyes. I would even say it this way. Friends of Jesus pray for the salvation of those who are not currently friends of Jesus. Friends of Jesus, pray for the salvation of those who are not currently friends of Jesus. And you know how they pray? Lord, turn their heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Lord, open their eyes that they may see you for the glory of who you are. Drop the scales from their eyes so that they may see the darkness that they are in and behold you, the Father of all light, and that they will be drawn to you. And then, Father, use me in the process of going to be the one who declares your greatness. Keep my heart from sin that it might not be able to, to cloud the witness. Allow my actions to be such that it will be pure before them and it would cause all those who would say bad things and, and would, would cast dispersion to have their mouths shut as, as the glory of God is manifest. Those kind of prayers then become the fuel that send us out. And then we go and we declare the good news of the gospel and we live lives, holy lives, pure lives as salt and light in a dark world. And what I want you to know is as we share the good news of the gospel by compelling a lost world to be reconciled to God through Christ and doing so in a clear and compassionate way, I believe that is what it means to abide in Christ and what it means to embody exactly what Jesus says here. That we go and bear fruit and we depend on Christ as we do it. 
And so when we consider all that Jesus has said to us here in this passage, we realize that he has laid out for us the characteristics of those who are his friends. And all of that then leads me to my sermon in the sentence this morning, which is this. Those who are friends of Jesus love his friends. They obey his commandments, understand his truth, and bear fruit for his kingdom. They love his friends, they obey his commandments, they understand his truth, and bear fruit for his kingdom. Here's the real question. In light of everything that Jesus has said to us, would Jesus call me his friend? As the Spirit of God begins to peer deep into my heart, and as, as I mentioned in my devotional earlier this past week, as we see here the portrait that Jesus paints, and then we see the mirror standing right next to it that allows us to see ourselves in light of that portrait, would Jesus call me his friend? I want you to know that the answer to that question, is it's important for me to point out to you that none of us are automatically Jesus' friends. We don't start out that way. You see, according to Romans 5, we are born into sin. And as a result, being born that way, we are his enemies. According to Colossians 1, in our sinfulness, we remain alienated from God. According to Ephesians chapter 2, apart from Christ, we remain dead in our trespasses and sins, and we are by nature children of God's wrath. You add that to the fact that James chapter 4 verse 4 says this, that friendship with the world is hostility toward God. And then you add to that what John writes in 1 John 2 verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, listen, the love of the Father is not in him. So based upon all of that, we recognize this. If we would be friends of Jesus, we cannot remain as we are in our sins while simultaneously embracing the ways of the world and living undifferentiated from the world. But here's the good news. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ was sent by God the Father to reconcile sinners like you and like me to himself. In fact, Jesus said he did not come to call the righteous, but to call call sinners to repentance. In other words, Jesus really did come to be the friend of sinners. And He did that by paying the penalty of our sins through His death on the cross. To us who were by nature God's enemies, Jesus came to make peace between us and God by giving Himself up sacrificially. So the first step to being called the friend of Jesus is actually to recognize your need of him. It's to come to him as a helpless sinner and to ask him to save you. That is how friendship with Jesus begins. And if you have never done that, if you have never placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, I want you to know you can do that today. Friendship with Jesus is not elusive You can right where you are. Many of you who are watching by home, you can right where you are. And those of you who are in this room, I want you to know you can pray in your heart. Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner. And I believe that you came to make me your friend. And I believe that you want to do that. 
And I want to receive that friendship. So I acknowledge my sinfulness. I acknowledge my need of you. And I ask you to save me. Save me for Jesus' sake. I want you to know if you will come to the Lord humbly like that, he will in no wise cast you out. You can be a friend. You can be made a friend. I want you to know if you're online and you've you prayed that prayer or you'd like for somebody to pray with you, they're going to put that phone number up that you can see there. If you'll call us after this service is over with, leave us a message. Somebody will be back in touch with you. One of us on us church staff will call you. We would love to be able to pray with you, read some scripture with you, help you understand the decision that you're making and what the next steps would be. You're also welcome to use the spiritual, the, the, the spiritual response uh, card that we have there. You're welcome to type some stuff in and send that to us. We'll get that and we'll also be back in touch with you. But it's incredibly important to know that you can be a friend. You can be made a friend, even though you are a sinner. Now, maybe that is your testimony. Maybe it is your testimony that you have come to faith in Christ and, and that you believe that you are a friend of Jesus. Then I want you to know this. Those who receive the gift of friendship that Jesus offers, those who renounce their friendship with the world and cling solely to Jesus, those who love as Jesus loved, both sacrificially and selflessly, being both a friend to those who are friends of Jesus, but also demonstrating love to those who are not currently his friends by sharing the good news of the gospel with them just as the good news was shared with us. Those who enjoy intimate insights of God's word, those who obey the commandments of Christ, and those who depend daily upon his divine power to accomplish that which he commands them to do, well, I want you to know those are the characteristics that Jesus reveals about his friends. Is that you? I hope that it is. Because unlike other friendships, as I have already said, friendship with Jesus is not elusive. If you will repent of your sins and renounce the world and respond to Christ's call to be your Lord and Savior, then you too may experience friendship with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this is yet another lesson from the upper room, and it is God's word for God's people. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we are so grateful for your goodness and your mercy to us, and we are so thankful that we can be called your friends. In no way are you indebted to us, but our lives are completely and totally indebted to you. And I pray that the characteristics that have been laid out for us very clearly by the words of Jesus here this morning will very clearly embed themselves within our hearts, that we will think on them, we will chew on them, we will consider them further. Let your Holy Spirit do his work in us. The holy sandpaper of smoothing out the rough edges in our lives, areas where we have not given ourselves completely over to your work and to your doings. And we pray that you would allow that to occur and that we would not resist that work, but actually we would receive it joyfully, knowing that you are conforming us in the image of your Son. I pray if there's one here who does not have a relationship with you, one online who is watching that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, 
that this would be the day that they would come to truly want to be known as your friend. And that they would come to you in humility, confessing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and repenting of their sins. I thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. I thank you for the fact that we have been able to gather to this place today. And now as we leave, I pray that by your Holy Spirit we will go out into this lost and darkened world and that we will truly serve as light and salt. I pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.